Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Barbie Kong. I know this has been a long time. Um, There's definitely lots of uh, changes that have happened over the last few months. I've returned to school. I'm doing a program for school counseling, which I'm really excited about, and I may start a whole other podcast in regards to that. But um, for now, I'm still trying to interview women in the arts, and uh, today I'm speaking with Megan Loney and her partner, um, Daniel Siba, uh, and he they have some really exciting projects that are coming up this weekend, which they will get into. Um, one being the Great American Science Fair, which is um, a competing, uh, it's a series of experiments uh, to please the American public over the course of an evening in the hopes that they will win a million dollars. And it is filmed in front of a live studio audience, and it is an interactive glimpse into the gender biased world of science through the gentle and palatable gaze of everyone's favorite. Uh, guilty pleasure reality television. So that's a little bit about that. And this is all through the Adel- uh, the Adelphi Alumni Playwrights Group. And um, Daniel also has a really interesting project called Crumbs. And it's the reimagining of the Hansel and Gretel fairy tale, which concerns two sisters as they grapple with their journey into adulthood. So we are going to get into all of that in this episode. And I hope that you are all remaining well and safe and healthy. And uh, yeah, Without further ado, we will get into the episode. I mean, it's had a few different, um, you know, stages and developments, but um, yeah, we're excited to talk to you guys today about your project. So if you want to just introduce yourselves, explain a little bit of how you met and how you started this collaboration. That'd be awesome. Um, Dan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you go first because <laughs> you, are, you are the visionary of this team. Um, so uh, Megan and I met uh, at Adelphi as undergrads. Probably like like a day or two into freshman year, um, and uh, we're very fast friends, and just we're kind of uh, at Adelphi. We're always the kids in the corner, just sort of like um, and uh, yeah, and we uh, uh, Megan. Uh, over the past summer, decided to uh, create the Adelphi Alumni Playwrights Group um, and invited uh, both uh, Adelphi alumni from her uh, time there, but then also, uh, you know, uh, other... We, we have members who are just recently graduated that are writing plays as well. Um, and it's been a really... Uh, exciting process over since last summer we've done this will be the fourth uh, virtual event that the Adelphi alumni playwrights group has done that's awesome and it's it's bigger and better um because uh you know we did a a 24-hour play festival uh we did uh short plays um uh for halloween set around uh, a map of salem massachusetts uh, we did a monologue a play uh, where every uh, contributing member wrote a monologue and, uh, and, and all of those were really, really interesting. But this is sort of the culmination of our year-long process where we have 12 new plays written by our members that are getting their first stage readings. 
So it's very exciting uh, in terms of new play development. Uh, in terms of the piece we're here to talk about, the Great American Science Fair. Yeah. Um, it actually evolved from a play that Megan wrote for the 24-hour play festival. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that or should we just like pretend that that didn't exist, Megan? Oh no, definitely. Um, let's talk about, I think it's all very valuable because mm -hmm. can you introduce yourself just in case there's new listeners that may not uh, know who you are. No problem. Um, a lot, but just maybe reintroduce. I'm, I'm happy to, to tell the world who I am. Hi everyone. My name is Megan Loney. I am a playwright, a screenwriter, and I also am an adjunct professor at Adelphi University where I teach audition and mentor young writers. Beyond that, I am equally a talent agent. I represent actors uh, in the areas of stage, theater, and film. So obviously the last year has been quite interesting with the pandemic. Uh, I also have a theater company called In Which Katie is enough to have myself and my collaborator Shoshana Tarko on in the past. We've created um, two big productions during pandemic using the virtual space to our advantage as Shoshana is tech forward. What is exciting to me about this past year in terms of the collaboration I'm working on right now with Daniel Siba, or should I say Dr. Dan? Dan is very humble and is a PhD and also a professor, oh, wow. so he needs to introduce himself too. Awesome. Yeah, I totally, I mean, this is also how Megan and I's conversations go, where it's like, we forget the point, and then we sort of get back to the point. So, like, my actual introduction is, I'm Daniel Siba, I'm a professor at Ramapo College, I teach theater history, dramatic literature, playwriting, devised performance, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I'm also a dramaturg, and when I graduated to Delphi, I thought I was going to become a playwright, and, you know, cut to... Mm, decades later, I'm now writing the first play that's going to be part of this festival that I've written since I graduated. That's awesome. And really. Yeah. So. Well, don't forget positions because we did work on positions. Dan has a really interesting play about the Degas ballerinas as told through the mm -hmm. guise of like wines. Um, every, every ballerina is a wine. Dan's mind, I just have to say this before we move forward, is one of my <laughs> favorite things in this world. Um, Dan has like not only a super intelligent uh, kind of amazing view of anything that has to deal with like theater criticism, theory, you name it, right? But he has this playful, joyful side that he brings in that leans toward the absurd, but also can stay grounded in a fantastic truth. So that's why I'm always really excited when he has notes or feedback for any of our member writers, because he's like going to bring out that, Katie, I think you would love it, that kind of like joyful, mm -hmm. almost magical realism that some writers have a hard time getting toward because we're so, we're so hell-bent on finding the essence and the, the character that we're not also being playful with dramatic structure or what is theater. I think that's a question that comes up constantly every time I talk to you on this podcast right like what is theater yeah what is the future of theater and Dan and I had a whole chat session about it recently mm -hmm. where a lot of these younger writers are writing kitchen sink and it's fascinating that in 2021 we're still living in this like kitchen sink tv on stage world right when theater in order to survive and shift and change and like adapt to different experience has to really 
start to jump outside the parameters of things that we have on our screens. Right. And I want to get to crumbs at some point, your um, Hansel and Gretel, because I thought that was really cool when I was reading. And so we'll get to that in a second. But um, just let's circle back to the science fair, because I'm really curious to know how it came about and how I know it's really, uh, you know, a great kind of positive um, influence for young girls and for um, kind of to see that, you know, science is kind of definitely an important topic right now and how that kind of ties in with um, just, you know, evolving, you know, young women and girls in that field. Yeah, definitely. As Dan had mentioned early on, I we did a 24-hour play festival. So I should mention, as he said, I started the Adelphi Alumni Playwrights Group when pandemic began. Mm-hmm. It's serving as like an intergenerational um, forum for people who've graduated from Adelphi to come back and create Originally, it was like, this thing is happening. We're all freaking out. Let's use this as like an amazing springboard to not only bring back people we love and admire from when we were at school, but like people at all skill levels. Some of us are professionally working as writers. Some of us are just starting. Some of us like lost it and then want to get back to it. So it's been like an amazing kind of platform to hear different voices at different levels and be inspired by it all. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things we did was a 24-hour play festival around Christmas. That was like our Christmas show. Mm -hmm. Um, My prompt somehow became about the environment and Mm -hmm. science. And I wrote this like 10-minute show about a, a climatologist who had to make one of those museum education videos called Storm Warnings. Um, and that character, Dan and I got to start chatting as we do, um, kind of was this, was the impetus for this whole show because she was like in this situation where they were trying to glamorize the idea of climate change and not really address what she wanted to do to change the world. They wanted a glossy, like, this is how you make a snowman video (laughs) around like the holidays. Right. (laughs) And it was just kind of like, well, how do we extend this narrative and what's the seed of this that's interesting? And it became like, what if it's a reality show, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it's like Top Chef, but with female scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dan has this awesome friend who's a scientist who sat down with us and talked us through a lot of these questions we had. Dan, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Oh, I, I won't. I won't mention her name just because I, I I haven't I haven't asked. Um, but a colleague from Tufts uh, who is a female scientist sat with us and had we had about an hour long conversation just about sort of like um, uh, from her perspective. And again, right, taking that and fictionalizing it and sort of coming up with I think. One of the largest questions that took a long time for for Megan to answer and for us to sort of go back and forth is like, okay, but like which types of scientists, right? If you sort of unpack that thread, there's like thousands and thousands of different specialties, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, what's the right balance in terms of like sort of representing, it's like, again, it's like that term scientist is this umbrella for a widely diverse amount of people who do very, very different things. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of the process of development, it was just continued conversations, right? So it wasn't the process where Megan came in with this perfect play 
And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is great. And I'm going to do this thing, right? Sort of like that assumptions of like how playwrights or directors work, which again, I, I, I can't imagine actually happens, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so uh, it's part of this like new play development process that I feel like the Adelphi Alumni Playwrights Group is really embracing. Yeah. Um, and so it started from Facebook messages between me and Megan, just going back and forth for like what, like two weeks, three weeks? And then like, I'd see something and I'd be like, oh, what about this? Or Megan would send an article and I would read that, right? And just sort of like thinking about the concept long before uh, Megan had actually penned any dialogue or anything like that. You know what's so funny? I love that you bring up the process because I do think there's this stigma in modern day that there's a very specific way playwrights and directors are supposed to work in a space. And I believe challenging that is exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me personally, I write so many plays and I write quickly that I like to sit on something and marinate with it. Like Katie, you know, I've worked with you in the past. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, um, that's how I work. So for me to talk through something, like to have Dan as a resource and in a sense, like the dramaturgy turns from just reading a script into the discussion of the dramaturgy of what it could be mm-hmm. is very interesting. Yeah. And I think it could end up like yielding all kinds of shows without getting so far into like, what is this called? I think people get so held, like, you know, consumed with like the title of what something is. And Dan, honestly, you can speak to this too, because you work heavily in devised work. And I feel like that's a big part of devised work. And what is it right now? Right. Mm-hmm. Can you explain and- a little bit? Uh, so d- devised processes, right, is is calling into question the the sort of general hierarchies that exist within conventional theater, right? So, um, you know, if there is a playwright, the playwright is actually working with the performers and both are creating the script simultaneously, right? Or there are devised processes where there is no director, where it's the eight performers and they all collectively come together. And I I don't know why I said eight, but like (laughs) however many performers there are, but they all come together and they all lend eyes and give suggestions to each other. Sort of, again, getting back from this uh, uh, patriarchal uh, hierarchy of like, there is a soul of, uh, creator of meaning and mm-hmm. that a person who is in who is solely envisioning that meaning as opposed to um, the processes I prefer to work on where it's like well I want everyone to be contributing meaning simultaneously yeah. all right uh, we, we have wonderful actors right uh, for other processes right you have great designers so letting them actually feel like they're not just an instrument to articulate someone else's vision but actually a full collaborator in the process um, it's very Shakespearean when you think about it. Like that, that's very, I know, Dan, I had to do it. It's Shakespeare's birthday this week. We have to pay homage. Oh, really? Um, what day is it? Isn't it the 25th? Oh, okay. Gotcha. I think. Or am I wrong? No. So you can edit this out and it never happened. <laughs> um, I know I'm, I'm pretty certain Shakespeare's birthday is this week, but... <laughs> That's like the whole idea of what they did where, you know, there was a director that stepped out of the ensemble, but really he was also a part of the company and Shakespeare was creating, but also the actors were commenting on the script and it was very collaborative. It was like in real time, seeing what works and seeing what could be, which I feel like, you know, we're a little more heady about it, obviously, because we're looking at this from like 
a dialectic perspective or like what is what are we trying to translate to the world with this like quirky absurd reality science competition we well maybe it is virtual or like maybe when we're in person it'll be a live studio audience or maybe maybe there's much more improv that happens or there's like like we're tr- we're gonna shift it into audience participation and sort of you know like Tony and Tina's weddings and things like that like we continually sort of like circle through the regular rotation of like what genres it could be and so it, it's like one of the most exciting things to me about this process is it's like it's still amorphous we've been working on this for four months and we still haven't quite figured out what the shape of it is and that's really exciting yeah it and just I'm going into just this idea of like this hybrid theater model of what um, it's kind of looking like. I guess we're kind of on the precipice of reopening in certain capacities. I know a friend of mine went to a show last week that was only audio. It wasn't visual and it was, you know, everyone obviously had masks and, you know, six feet. She said it wasn't that great. I don't, I'm not going to mention the name because I don't actually remember it, but um, okay. as we're all kind of on this cusp of embarking back in, what are your thoughts of that? And what are the thoughts of incorporating the hybrid, like, you know, Zoom models that we've learned through the last year and a half um, into live theater? Great. I think that there's still gonna be a place for hybrid Zoom models as we move forward. There's a whole year that we're looking at where some people are vaccinated, some are not, some people feel safe, some people don't. I can't see a tomorrow where everybody's going to cram into a theater and feel good about it right. Sitting right next to each other. And that's going to be a whole conversation as we know equity, that's all happening and in talks mm-hmm. right now. Um, so I feel like for a while experimenting with tech and continuing to, to prolong this narrative of like what we can take away from this year and what we can incorporate into what we're already doing is mm-hmm. a valuable, that's very much the narrative of my theater company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, People are working on very exciting projects that can be viewed at home. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, we watch TV at home. Why can't we bring theatrical space into our homes in a more real way? Mm -hmm. Of course, I want to be back in a theater. I mean, I went back into a theater to watch a recording of one of my plays for something. And I was like, what's this? Like, I was very nightmare before Christmas. I was super excited. All of like the chills, the happiness, it just coursed through my veins. Yeah. Um, there's always going to be that space where we want that, that mm-hmm. energy, that kinetic feeling that you get when you're in a theater. But I do feel like there are, we're finding the tech behind what can bring that to you at home. Right. And it's that exciting. Like, wait for those holograms, Katie. <laughs> for a while. Um, I don't know. And what do you think? That's like the other thing, because I've been thinking a lot about this the last few months too, just like, what is the nugget of theater that really makes theater different than a visual situation or like a, you know, a screen situation. And I think that that particular point is, is the thing that may change. Like when we go in, because I always thought you know, the difference for me was always like, you're in a living, breathing, breathing space with these actors. It's happening in the moment. Anything can happen. Um, you are in the experience with these people. So is that something you think is going to like be heightened completely? Or do you think that the audience is not really going to be able to, because that's my feeling is that I think the audience may not be able to sit through a three hour Ibsen play after this. Um, that's just, whatever, you know, yeah. do you have that mental capacity? Just, I mean, we have the mental capacity, but do we have the, the want to do it? And I would love to know your thoughts on that. Isn't that, isn't that Dan, I think we can speak to this. Isn't that what love and information is about? 
the Carol Churchill play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's um, you're experiencing life in these truncated scenes and snippets. And as a director, you can really do whatever you want with it. But that's very much the theme of as we, as consumers of mass media, can't, do we have the attention span? Right. I, I'm, I'm always for like uh, working for an audience who uh, will rise up to the level of the things I want to create. Uh, right. And sort of not trying to limit the choices that I make as a theatrical practitioner, whether I'm a playwright or a director or a dramaturg or an actor. Right. But really like uh, putting things out there with the hopes that uh, audiences are are smart and engaged and interested enough to understand that like every experience should be a little different. Right. That there there is a value to sitting through an in-person Ibsen play. Um I don't know if I would pay $100 for that, but there's a value to it, right? Um, uh, and if it was free, well, sure. Why not spend an afternoon? Um, right. um, but again, right, I think one of the lessons I've learned over the past year, and again, this is both from doing some projects um, with the undergraduate students I teach, but also doing the projects with the Adelphi uh, Alumni Playwrights Group, is that like these forms of experimentation should continue. They will continue anyway. And that, again, that sort of like distinction between like, well, what separates theater from all of the other things is liveness is just sort of like another question of like, well, I'm not sure. Maybe it's blurrier than that, mm -hmm. right? Maybe we actually need to expand the definition of theater. Right. Um, again, and again, sort of the pressing thing last year was like, well, we need to expand the definition of theater so theater can survive in our current circumstances. But like, even in like five to six years, right? Like, we're still all performers. We're still all interested in creating work, mm -hmm. right? So, you know... I mean, one of the things that, again, I wouldn't have assumed before Zoom became something we turn on every day mm -hmm. is, like, subtle choices don't work for actors, and right? Like, you can't do that, yeah. that film sort of, like, really quiet acting because, again, I don't know if it's the, the lag of the digitization or whatever the thing is. But so it... it uh, and that's why something like the Great American Science Fair is so great because we have this balance between like some very exaggerated characters and some really interesting circumstances with a bunch of um, characters who are just really trying to advocate for sanity in a very, very absurd world. And also um, we played around, and I think this is a good thing to mention here, with in having actors, but also improvisers. Um, we very much moved into that realm of like letting the improvisers improvise and seeing if that was valuable for the show. We weren't so stuck on it needs to be word perfect because we were really looking for this feeling of being at like a frenetic reality show where, you know, it feels scripted, but there are moments where everybody's a little bit uncomfortable because it I mean, gets a little real. Yeah. And I feel um, like that's going to be something that may kind of shift as well as this, you know, the honing to the script of like this word perfect kind of, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's that may, the, 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 di the, the dynamics of how things are created will shift as you're saying, like maybe more improv or more kind of, maybe there's not a director and it's more of an ensemble piece. Um, I think that we're in this time where there's this complete exploration of all of that. 
which is really cool that we're living through this. Like we're in a shift of theater that like we may not have had happen at all if, if COVID hadn't happened. So, um, and just, you had mentioned, um, Dan before about just the idea of like, yeah, the collective ensemble and everybody wearing the hats. Do you think that's something that's going to change um, kind of in theater where, you, where like, I think now going into a show in any capacity, whether it's zoom or live, you know, we're all kind of in it together, you know, like we all have to take care of each other. We have to have respect for the COVID stuff and all of that. And so I think that there has, there just seems to be more respect amongst, amongst everybody that may not have been there. And that allows for more, you know, less of a hierarchy um, and having like, you know, the director be the only person that can make decisions. Do you think that's something that could change or is changing? Um, again, I, I can't really speak to uh, the sort of the professional world where, again, you have sort of like the unions and sort of distinctions of sort of those roles. Right, but right, right. in terms of educational settings and the work that I do, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's very, very collaborative, right? In that, like, we are trying to respond to each other and building each other. And that, again, that doesn't mean that, like, there are no roles in any processes, right? Like, there are still clearly defined roles for, for certain types of work Mm -hmm. it's just isn't it isn't it exciting sometimes to get a chance where right Mm -hmm. megan doesn't have to hold on to like well every word choice is the most important thing for this piece right Mm -hmm. um or i know i as uh oh and 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 to be really honest about this piece since i just spent the last 72 hours video editing right um it was much more of that again like i was directing the piece and we were talking i was talking with the actors about their interpretation of the characters and trying to sort of like visualize how everything's come together but it was actually for the thing that's going to be shown this saturday Mm -hmm. april 24th at 7 p.m Mm -hmm. uh you can tune in and see the uh the edited um it's about 55 minutes long um and, but again, like that work between like director and video editor was yeah. the same thing just because I was the person who was doing it. Right, 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 right. And all of that takes skill in itself too. I mean, all of the editing and dealing with technology in any capacity is, that's like a whole other skill that I think we've all honed over the last year. Well, and that I have a, a huge respect for and to sort of also acknowledge I am only beginning my process of doing it, right? Yeah. So right, going with sort of this like rough aesthetic of video editing was mm-hmm. essential because it's not, it could never be sort of this polished, glossy, mm-hmm. oh, it's exactly like watching The Real Housewives. Right. Can I, can I say something, though, that I did take away from watching? I watched like a rough cut. I know Dan's still working on it. Um, it's you found your voice. It's interesting. I feel like you found a voice as a director within the editing. So I think that's something that I find interesting. Like, even though you're editing it and you're like, well, it's it's not seamless. It's not it's a little clunky. Right the voice is so specific that it's almost a part of the narrative, right? Indeed. Because the editing feels very organic and it feels like this one idea that's across the board. And I laugh my face off. (laughs) It sort of varies from like, okay, so I have a very specific image. So I'm going to ask my husband who does digital design to actually like take these different elements and put it together in a composed thing. And like, so there's some of that, but other things were like me on Sunday being like, I literally just have to figure out how to take the things that I, that we filmed and string them together in, in any sort of shape that makes sense. And so it has to be this because that's all the, 
like all of the things that I have to put together. Mm-hmm. Um, which I would also say is again, and this is gonna this might sound a little uh, strange to people uh, as sort of outside of device process, but is like is entirely part of uh, the again the the narrative itself of that Megan was writing, where it's like you know when we had a draft, it still was like oh, this is really interesting. Let's all come together and we'll uh, just like have all the members of the group who want to show up come. And then we chatted for like an hour about possibilities that Megan could pursue if she was interested in them. Mm-hmm. So again, it wasn't like I have this, right? You know, sort of that like Freitag's pyramid of like the triangle of regular action, right? Like I have, I know what this narrative is. And instead it was, again, and like things that came out of that. Commercials, confessionals um mm-hmm. different ideas for the actual so again so if it's if it's modeled on sort of top chef a little bit yeah uh, probably more than the, perfect, yeah. um, like a perfect kind of way to incorporate it because you could do it on zoom or you could do it in live theater like it, it could translate so easily to both i think because i'm just kind of picturing it in my head now and that seems really cool that you guys figured that out because it gives you more options of where you can go with it right and in the future yeah. So the concept is, you know, and Dan and I have kind of talked about this because I think we are interested in pursuing it in some capacity beyond this reading, whatever that looks like. But um, we've talked about the idea of having a live studio audience and it's almost like it's kind of a theme park attraction, right? Mm Because you're getting there and it's like, I feel like it is something weirdly almost like a Disney's American Idol or one of those like very big shows that they kind of have three showings of a day where mm-hmm. you could feasibly have three showings of the Great American Science Fair somewhere and people would just be, the, the audience would be overturned kind of. Okay. And yeah. you have interactive elements where you take it up and you can vote. There's live voting that we have in the show. Equally, they, they're supposed to be doing crowd work. So you have like a warm-up comedian who oh, would nice. be prompting the audience to be like, the Great American Science Fair, you know? So they're very much in this, mm-hmm. as well as the contestants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely think it could work in that, in that capacity. But equally, like if we were given the opportunity and funding to do it via Zoom, there's so many options for contestants to speak literally straight to an audience member. Right, right. Or right. To have that, they will be able to vote from their home computer. Mm-hmm. So the oh, I didn't even think about this, but like questions, right? Like what, like the, even the possibility of like a Q&A, right? Where like you've done the research and they have to improv on the spot with audience questions. Right. That could be, that could be an amazing experience. Cool. Yeah, and it's interesting because, Katie, I think you brought this up at the top of when we started chatting, this idea of, like, it's great for young women. And we had to answer questions recently, and that was Dan's first initial response to, like, who's our audience. Right. Um, And it was, you know, it is. It's young women. I have a whole monologue at the conclusion of the piece that literally is speaking to the idea, like, it's okay to be a little weird. It's okay to not want what we're supposed to want. It's okay to want this career where people are sometimes don't encourage you to go become a rocket scientist if you're right. a woman. You know, that's what the idea behind STEM programs in schools comes and from. Until we need a max vac- vaccination. Until we need a worldwide. And like, where are they? We need these <laughs> yeah. women to go in and figure this all out. That was um, sorry. <laughs> no, of course. I, 
But that's that's the idea behind it too. It's like if a young woman goes and sees this show, right. you know, she walks away going like, "Wow, that was there were how many women who were just scientists and look mm-hmm. at all those different fields of science and I didn't even realize mm-hmm. that this many women like there were so many different ways you could go into science." Right. Right. I think that is a powerful narrative that even though it's funny and absurd and kind of like an episode of The Simpsons, mm-hmm. like that's a narrative that is very universal across the board. And, you know, it's something I always want to project in any, in any of my works, mm-hmm. the idea of like a feminist forward narrative mm-hmm. with, with the hope of social change. Yeah. Um, so that's, I'm glad that that also is very much projected even in the moments of extraordinary humor. Right. Yes, definitely. And how long did you, you guys said you'd worked on this for three three weeks or how long did it take to kind of get to, to come together? Just three weeks. Not that in any way. I'm just curious because Dan and I went to Cabo and we just sat there working <laughs> on it for three weeks. Oh um, my gosh, if only. So so from the like from the initial conversation where it was like, what if it was this? Mm-hmm. Um and I think before we had anything, Megan was like, I want you to direct. Like we didn't even know what it was. And Megan was like, you're directing this, whatever it is. So from that initial idea to get to the script probably was at least two months okay. of, of just conceptualizing. Megan had written a little bit and shared it with the group and we got some feedback. But again, um, uh, because of both of our busy schedules, right, it just sort of became like, okay, um, here is the date in which we want a, we want some script. And then, mm-hmm. so that was probably two months after the initial idea. Yeah. Um, and then pretty much from that, that point, it was like, okay, in two weeks, we're going to have a cast. Now mm-hmm. that I know who the characters are, we're going to, we're going to have a cast. So, you know, you need to go back, uh, uh, Megan sort of could expand that. And then from that read, I think it was another two weeks uh, to get to the like, okay, so if I'm filming this over the next two weeks, uh, right, we can tinker, but it's largely going to be what it is. And, and, you know, I'm, I am a firm advocate. I just had a conversation with a student about this today. Uh, I'm a firm advocate of process over product. So what people will see when they come uh, to our show this Saturday is the process of where it is, uh, knowing that Megan and I are open to, I don't know, send us an email, send the Adelphi Alumni Playwrights Group an email saying, I saw this and here are my thoughts. And we're happy to sort of look at them and think about like, what's the next step of the process rather than like stabilizing it in a finished process in, yeah. in a finished product. Yeah. And I think that's really important right now too, because you know, anything that's like a finished pro- product is not necessarily attainable right now. So I think, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big process person as well. And, you know, hats off to both of you for just keeping the work going, you know, it's a tough time and just to be creative, I feel like is even difficult some days. So to be able to really have that focus is awesome. Um, do you want to talk about crumbs? no um i uh so crumbs is a is a very very personal piece um uh it's uh it developed from uh the sort of uh thinking through the hansel and gretel tale (laughs) as a way for me to personally process uh the grief over my sister passing away um and uh, it's, it's kind of sort of like shaped into this uh, much more fictionalized version of that story. So it's no longer sort of the like just me trying to reflect on myself and my journey through that process. Um, and 
Uh, and so it's, uh, um, it's this sort of untrusting, untrustworthy narrator sort of sharing her experiences um, uh, juxtaposed with a fictionalized version of um, it's uh, two, two daughters, uh, Hannah and Greta, mm-hmm. and I changed their name slightly. And, and really that, that part of the story is just like confronting our assumptions about what the Hansel and Gretel story is, right? Again, if you sort of take a step back from it, it's like, oh, so uh, they kill a person. And again, sort of like the larger arc of that narrative is through killing that person, right? It's like, they're still the good people, right? You know, it's still that, it's that old fairy tale thing, you know, witches are bad. And so it's, we are justified in killing them. And so again, it sort of creates this, uh, I don't know, this like feedback loop. That's really, really interesting to me. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't write realistically. So it's Mm -hmm. a lot of it's stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. A lot of it sort of verges on magical realism. There's a moment when jelly beans rain from the sky. Like, Right. So um, I, I'm, I'm very interested in, in it as a sort of exploratory soundscape that's really um, reflecting on uh, the sort of the isolation and the grief. I feel like I, I hear in a lot of colleagues about the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. Um, so just a couple last questions and I'll let you guys go. So um, if there or Megan, do you want to add anything or anything else I didn't touch on? Uh, no, this is all great. I mean, uh, I'm just really excited myself to see crumbs. I've watched the whole process and development phase of it. And it's definitely like something I've never seen Dan write or endeavor upon. So it's a really beautiful story. I highly, I highly recommend everyone checking out crumbs as well as all of the other amazing plays that are happening over the course of the next two weekends. We had a successful first weekend this past weekend with fantastic full lengths. There were four in total that went up as part of the Adelphi Alumni Playwrights Group Spring Fever Festival. This is truly a wild process and I'm so fortunate to have so much support uh, from my resident director, Brittany Mills, as well as our amazing stage management team of Samantha Stone and Laura Ryan, who have been, and also Meg Rosenberg, who have all been very, very, very helpful in getting this all together, along with our amazing member playwrights. And you can check out all of their work, the entire schedule, their names, their bios, you name it, at www.adelphialumniplaywrightsgroup.com. We have a very, very comprehensive website. If you're interested in knowing more about our group or reaching out to any of our writers, there's a contact page. If you send us an email, we will get back to you. We will put you in touch with who you're looking for. You know, we, we've had the luxury of like being in communication with some theater companies about this. But honestly, if anyone's looking for new work and you just want to read one of these scripts, we're, we're very excited to share them with people. So just let us know. Um, I think they're all super interesting and very exciting and cover come from all different perspectives as well as cover all different narratives. So yeah. it's a little bit of something for everyone. Um, and I'll put all that, that in the show notes and everything so people can have access to the website. That's why, Katie, you're the best. <laughs> um, um, so can I just ask you two questions? So what is your show when theater comes back and Broadway and everything that is there a show that you're just that you missed that you could just go like you know remember when we could just be like oh we can go get tickets to a show tonight is there one show that you really missed 
And is there one show that you, of yours, like that you really want to um, see kind of get to a, a live performance, one of your projects that you're working on that you really in your mind are like, this needs to be on stage. So those are the two final questions. <laughs> I, I think honestly, for me, for my, like a show I missed, I feel like, um, I mean, I'd love to see Hamilton again, honestly, I know that sounds just so cliche, but like, I'd love to see a big, big musical. I think I really miss like, just this ability to be like, oh, you want to go see Book of Mormon? Sure. Let's go see it. You know, like, um, so I, I would like to see like a big musical. No, that makes total sense. I yeah. saw Hamilton right before pandemic. So oh, nice. I um I was in the room where it happened. I saw the Alanis Morissette. The Alanis Morissette show was the last show I saw. I saw Jack and Little like, literally in the middle of February and it was packed. Like there was like mm-hmm. so many people there. Everybody so. was just breathing on each other. Um I saw I can't complain. I saw betrayal. Uh, before pandemic hit and I loved Betrayal. Um, you know, I got to see a lot of great shows. The one show I was supposed to see the week after this everything shut down was Company. And I had worked on that project through work and I was really bummed out that I didn't get to, you know, see our clients in that show because yeah. it had been such a long process and a beautiful process. But I was I was saddened by that. I know six was opening the night that pandemic. Yeah, hit. I mean that was that was going to be my my thing is like I and I I I think at some point in the past year I sort of started listening to it and I was like nope I need I want to see it I just I need to I need to hold <laughs> off and I, I agree I, I, I don't think listening is the same as seeing it it's um it's a concert it's like a rock concert so you really have to go like experience it fully. Um, you know, I didn't get to see Girl from North Country. I kind of wanted to see oh, that. So much. It was I, good, right? Yeah, I, I, it, I didn't, uh, Joel liked it. Joel really liked it. I didn't love it. But, um, but yeah, that was one of the, we went on Valentine's Day for that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the last ones. But yeah, that was, it was good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I mean, it's like, there was just some that I had on my radar, you know, Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. That was a big one I wanted to check out and I had tickets and then I couldn't go one night. And it's like those things you kick yourself in the butt for. You're like, oh, I can't believe I just like had something else to do that night. But also I have to say, and I'm probably the worst theater person for saying this. I was going to theater so much. I think I was burned out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like I look forward to going once every two weeks or something. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And really genuinely appreciating my experience in a theater mm-hmm. to the point where I'm just like, this is the magic that I fell in love with when I started working in the performing arts or when I went to college for theater. This is like, this is the magic. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you go repeatedly to so many shows and then their shows succeeding and their shows failing and like everyone's just working so hard to put things up. Mm-hmm. That's very much the culture of New York, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we've got to hit, we've got to hit opening. We've got to get past previews. We have to get a good review. I'm just looking forward to seeing theater post pandemic that is embracing this idea of like, we're creating something oh. like that is living in the process in a beautiful way where there are mistakes, but it's, it's something that's living and breathing and it's organic and it's not fully staged and there's not, um, you know, inch by inch choreography worked out that people have been doing for the last four months. Like, right. I think there's going to be something really beautiful about mm-hmm. this revival of seeing things live again mm-hmm. where they don't have to be as glossy as they used to be. Right. Um, and those are the things that I'm attracted to. You know, I love the work Bedlam does and I love the work like companies do when they're mm-hmm. 
taking kind of things we understand and nostalgia we know, very similar to crumbs, but they're elevating it and they're they're giving us a new story, a new narrative that's still connected to who we are. Um, so that's why I, I'm just curious to see that. Obviously, I'll be very happy to see musicals and I'll smile like a child when I'm back in a musical. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think that that's what I've been missing and just being in a theater watching young people work. I kind of have that where I'm like, this is the genuine excitement behind making something in a space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the ultimate like person to person contact is what makes theater so great. You know, I always think like it's the, you know, Christopher Shin thing where he says, just put two people in a room and have them talk to each other. You know, like I think for me, that's like the most interesting part of theater dynamics. And so we will get back to that (laughs) six feet apart. Well, and again, I mean, to answer the other question, right, like right now, it's very hard for me to think about like, okay, so this narrative has to be an in-person thing, right? Like I, mm-hmm. right, I mean, and, and maybe, maybe there's actually something really productive about that mentality where it's like, well, what if we're really thinking about all of these narratives in terms of their adaptation, right? right? Like, yes, it can be on Zoom, right? Like we, um, and again, that's another really interesting thing that's just been sort of like circulating in, in, in the process of, you know, where I teach and the people I collaborate with, who is like, well, we, we can't do that through Zoom, right? That's like, what is that mentality of like, well, that's not, well, that, that's, that's not, that's not true, right? I mean, people are doing lots of things through Zoom. Yeah. Um, lots of narratives that like before pandemic, we would never say you yeah. could do through Zoom. Yeah. So like, what's that solution that's happening to sort of think about it as just like, well, it's just an adaptation. It's just a, it's just shifting the lens in a new direction. Yeah. And also just more creativity. Like they did, um, the, the New York City Ballet did a show on top of the Empire Hotel, I think on Sunday. And um, I follow one of the ballerinas on Instagram and she ha- she wrote this whole thing about how, you know, she gave every single thing she had, like every muscle was hurting after that five minute performance because she just, it was like the first time she was able to really give this gift. And, you know, I do think it fluctuates because like, you know, something like dance or whatever, where it is so kind of visual and, you know, how does that change on a screen? But, um, so I think we're all getting creative, like, yeah, why don't they do stuff on rooftops? Like open that up, let's do theater on rooftops. Like that's great. You know, I I think, and that uh, like opens it up to a whole other realm of creative process that people would never have thought about before COVID. So, um, yeah, it's really good. And any shows that you guys would want to see for like for your projects that you feel like it would need to be on stage or you're feeling like it could be always kind of versatile. <laughs> Megan, are you there? <laughs> oh, am um, I speaking to this? I thought well, you were the, TikTok first. I mean, for me, it's it's it, right now. It's it's much more it's much more fluid. Yeah. Um, but that's also probably just coming from these processes that I knew were going to be on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And well, actually, so here's something I can share about crumbs. Right. So uh, about halfway through the process, my uh, director Camille. Uh, Camille Arnoni, uh, who is lovely to work with, uh, an old friend also from Adelphi. Um, uh, we had a conversation about like, okay, so there's stuff that cannot be shown that I want to be shown. Like it suddenly rains jelly beans. All right. Like, or, you know, one of the girls is pushing the witch into the oven, right? Like we, like, how do we show that through zoom? So we actually, in conversation with Megan, I have this fourth character that Again, it's not stage directions, but is sort of providing additional narration. Um, 
Um, and, and again, it's sort of like saying these things aloud. Now, when that goes to in-person, I still feel like I would keep that person stating the narrative as it's developed, talk to the third person, um, sort of being that. So again, so now this play sort of has these two modules where, right, it can be four boxes on Zoom that can totally tell the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't sort of need that, oh, like, okay, we need them to open the oven door now. That's sort of like the thing, right? When it goes to in-person, right, how lovely will it be for those four people to just sort of like live in that space and sort of explore their connection while still... Um, uh, honoring the the poetic exploration that is part of the process. Anyway, I hope I hope people will tune in. I'm very interested yeah, in getting yeah. feedback. So you guys want to just say the time again on the 24th at 7 p.m. Um, and I'll put the link in. It's on the website, correct? So, so the Great American Science Fair is Saturday, April 24th at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Crumbs is Sunday, May 2nd at 2 p.m. Oh, great. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate your time and all your effort. And really, truly, I I really mean this, that like you guys are part of the saving of the theater process. We all have to work together and it is an exciting time. And I think so many amazing shows are going to come out through the next few years. So thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Katie. You've been a lot. There you go, folks. That's all that we have for today. Um, Remember that you can go to the Adelphi website and get the information for both of the shows that were mentioned in the episode. Till next time, be well. 